Good morning. Our scripture reading this morning is found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. I'll be reading verses 22 through 35. So if you want to follow along in Luke, chapter 2, verses 22 through 35. And when the time came for the purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to, pre- to present him to the Lord. As it was written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what he said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was a righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death until he has seen the Lord's Christ. And he came to the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought the child Jesus to do him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation And you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through his own soul also. So thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. This is God's word. Let us pray. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are just uh, grateful to be in your presence here this morning. And as your word says, you know, let us remember in this Christmas season and really throughout the year that this child that was in the manger, this Jesus, is our Messiah, the true Messiah. And I just pray that we will all worship him. We pray this morning as Brian brings your word to us that our hearts, our minds, and our ears will be open to what your word has to say. We we pray that you bless this time together. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thank you so much, Tom, for reading our text today. We're finishing up our series here this Christmas, The Prophecies and Songs of the Incarnation. Uh, with Simeon's prophecy here, and uh, it also has a Latin name, just as we've seen the, the last three. It's Nocdimittis, so Nocdimittis is Latin for now, uh, let your servant depart in peace. So it's a very short Latin word for a very long phrase, right? <laughs> so, so this idea of departing in peace. And so today we're going to be Uh, looking at this idea of departing in peace as we explore this text here today. Uh, Again, just as as in many of the other uh, texts that we've looked at, I had Tom read a larger portion than what we're going to be looking at. We're going to be focusing on verses 29 through 32. That's where we see this prophecy of Simeon. But we had him read kind of following up to that, and we saw that now... Uh, Mary and Joseph had come to the temple after uh, a certain amount of time, um, this purification time according to the law of Moses. 
There's a number of different places where you can find the, 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 this uh, concept of this purification time. Leviticus 12 is probably the most clear one. And so after uh, eight days, uh, the baby would have been circumcised. And then after about 33 more days, I think is what it says in Leviticus 12, so 33 more days after, so that Mary would be purified, um, they would all come to the temple and present him. So, so potentially this ha- has to be a la- at least 41 days after Jesus is born, maybe more. Um, but they're coming to bring him to Jerusalem, to the temple, to present him to the Lord. And the reason for this is that um, again, throughout the Old Testament, specifically in the, uh, in the passages about the law, so in Exodus and Leviticus, but then it's quoted throughout the Old Testament, there's this idea that the firstborn of everything belongs to God. The firstborn of everything. So if you have a livestock, the firstborn of your livestock belongs to God and is meant to be sacrificed to Him. And the same thing is true about your children except you don't sacrifice them you redeem them and so this this part of this was this purification ritual for mary after having birth but then part of it also is to redeem their firstborn son according to the law and so every firstborn son was to be redeemed that was born in israel and this looks back to um, their exodus out of egypt and one of the, the ways that, that God turns the heart of Pharaoh so that he, he casts them out of his nation is that the death angel comes and takes the firstborn child of every home in Egypt unless you had trusted in God's promises and put the blood of a lamb on your doorposts. And it's meant to be looking back to this, the firstborn belongs to God And so they come to redeem him here. Uh, they come to demonstrate to them that, that he is dedicated to the Lord. But unlike Hannah, who in turn dedicates Samuel to the Lord as their firstborn and leaves, them at, leaves him at the temple to become a priest and to serve under uh, the high priest there, um, Jesus here is redeemed as, as is most Hebrew children. And according to the law, they're supposed to bring a lamb and a turtle dove and, or a pigeon. And, uh, but if you're too poor to afford a lamb, you're to bring two turtle doves. So there's two separate sacrifices that occur. Um, sacrifice uh, for sin is one of those sacrifices. And so what we see here is that um, Mary and Joseph... Again, we demonstrate their humble estate as Mary described herself in her song. We see that they don't come bringing a lamb and a turtle dove. They come bringing two turtle doves because they can't afford the lamb. They're poor. They come from humble beginnings. Jesus starts in very humble beginnings. The son of a carpenter who was unable to afford the lamb, so they bring a pair of turtle doves or two pigeons to make their sacrifice and here as they come in to make their sacrifice they are encountered uh, they they encounter a a man who has been waiting it says here for the consolation of israel the 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 hope of, of israel's restoration the hope of israel's salvation the idea there is that he is looking forward to the christ the messiah 
So Christ being the Greek version of the Hebrew version Messiah. He's looking forward to this. So much so that it says in verse 26, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ, before he had seen the consolation of Israel. And this consolation is this human being in the flesh brought in the firstborn of this young couple, Joseph and Mary. The seed of David is being redeemed under according to the law, which, which helps us understand, you know, even, even a passage like Galatians 4 that we looked at a few years ago during Christmas was, you know, he's been born under the law so that he might redeem those who are under the law. And even, even in his first, first, you know, a little over a month of life, like this, that truth is being affirmed here, born under the law to redeem those who are under the law. Why is it so significant? Why is it so important? Because all of us are sinners who have broken God's law. And all of us face the consequences of breaking God's law. And even if we're told, even if in, in Scripture, even if we break it in one little part, we're responsible for all of it. For having broken every bit of it. Why? Because ultimately it's not about how big or little the offense is. It's how big or little the one you offend is. And we are an offense against the holy, almighty God of the universe, creator of everything. We have broken His law. And Jesus has been sent to be our consolation, our redemption, our hope. And this morning, I want us to be able to see that here in this text. Our main point is this, you should overflow with praise to God for faithfully keeping His promises of salvation through the incarnation of Jesus. He faithfully keeps His promises of salvation through the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And as we close out this year and look forward to begin the next year, we're going to ask this question of our text, why can we depart in peace? Why can we depart in peace? And then our second point is going to be connecting it to everyday life. And as you think about that question, why can we depart in peace? We have to understand what we're asking there. Who's the we that we're talking about? We're talking specifically about those who have put their trust in Christ. Those who are, as Simeon is described here, a man who is righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of of Israel, trusting in God's promises, looking forward to God's fulfillment of his promises. I mean, here is a man who had, who, and we don't know, you know, what specifically, what role his life was. I mean, was he a priest? We're not really told. We're just told there was this man in Jerusalem. You know, what, what was his job? Was he in retirement? Um, he seems to be older, as he had been waiting for this consolation. And, and yet what do we read of him? He is righteous, he's devout, he is, he is trusting fully in the promises of God. And his hope is placed in God and God alone. And that's the we we're describing here. We're describing Christians. We're describing Christians. Why can we depart in peace? 
And in turn, if we know why we can depart in peace, then we can share that truth with others and encourage them to join us, to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ so that they too might depart this world in peace. And that's one of the great responsibilities of the church. We're to gather for the gospel, we're to grow in the gospel, but then we're to give out the gospel. And in doing so, and in people being converted, they, in turn, just like us, might depart this world in peace. So we're going to be looking at that this morning. But before we do, would you join me in prayer? Father God, we are so thankful for the grace that has been bestowed on us in Jesus Christ. And as your church, to know that our hope both in this life and in the next, is found in Jesus Christ alone. We do not need to fear death, for he has conquered death. And he has conquered the, the foe that makes death so scary, that is sin and, and the wrath that, and the punishment that you place upon us for our sin. So that we can declare that our only hope in life and death is to belong all of us, to Jesus Christ. That in Him, we find our hope. And I pray today that we would, we would, like Simeon here, put our faith and trust continually in the Christ that has been given to us, the Messiah, the hope, the consolation, not just of Israel, but of all people who would put faith and trust in Him. For in Him we can find eternal life. I don't pray this for ourselves only here gathered as a church, but we also pray this for your church gathered across the globe. Lord, we are so thankful, so thankful that your glory and your goodness and your light is shining across our world in each nation. And that today as we meet, we know that your people are meeting not just across our own city, but across the world. And so we thank you. We pray that your light would shine. That these churches would faithfully declare your goodness and your greatness. That they would not shy away from from preaching your truth. And we pray not just for us and nations that are free and enabled to preach it, Lord. We pray as well for those who are in closed nations, churches meeting in secret. And yet even as we say they're meeting in secret, yet what do we know? That there is a people gathered there that is going out, risking their very lives to give the gospel. To make your name known. So I pray your name would be known here now, known there, known everywhere. For you deserve all glory and praise and honor. Even, even the, the little bit that we have to give, you deserve it. And so I pray that we would, we would raise up our voices, not just as we gather, not just as we're in our homes studying and reading and growing, not just with our Bibles open in our, in our 
around our table or, or in our rooms, hidden away. Lord, as we go out into the public, as we go out into this world, may we make your name known. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so our first question here. Why can we depart in peace? Why can we depart in peace? I have three answers that I want to give from our text here today. And now we're specifically focusing in verses 29 through 32. And so we see here in verse 29, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. Peace. So that's where we get the focus of this question. Why can we do this? Well, the first one is given to us right at the end of that verse. According to your word. Because God has given us his word. Here we see that Simeon had been given this prophetic revelation. It had been revealed to him. We saw that back in verse 26. It had been revealed to him. And so now he refers to it again in this little phrase, according to your word. Now that you have kept your word, I am able to depart in peace. So Simeon had been given this prophetic revelation. But what we read to realize as we look into this life of Simeon and see this prophetic revelation given to him, we need to realize that we too have been given prophetic revelation. We too have been given revelation by God so that we might be able to depart in peace. Now, the means by which it's given is different. So Simeon Simeon received this prophetic revelation in some other way than the Word of God. But what do we have? We have God's Word, God's Scripture, the Bible. In fact, as you look into a passage like 2 Peter 1, helps us understand how significant the Scripture is. The Word of God written for us. Because sometimes we can think, well, man, if I, just, if I had a word from God like Simeon, then I would trust God. You know, if he just spoke to me in some way. And we don't know exactly how he had spoken to Simeon. Was it in a dream, like with Joseph and the angel appearing? Was it like, like uh, uh, Zechariah or Mary where the angel stood before them and they're like, I was awake, you know, and I knew I was awake. Um, We don't know how it happened with Simeon. We just know he'd been given this word. But what we do know is that the word of God that we have before us is glorious and good. And actually described here in 2 Peter chapter 1 as the prophetic word more fully confirmed. More trustworthy in a sense is what he's saying. Verse 16 of 2 Peter 1, we read, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. And if Simeon could add to it, he also is an eyewitness of the majesty of Jesus Christ, holding Him there in the temple, looking into His precious little baby face. You know, those precious little baby faces, you know, just hug them and get right in there on him. Yeah, I mean, he was able to hold Jesus like that. And, and looking at him, yet yeah, affirm, this is the Christ. And he's an eyewitness. And Peter goes on to say, for when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So now Peter's describing, you know, we saw the majesty, not just of, of, of 
Jesus in the flesh, but we saw him on the Mount of Transfiguration when his glory is revealed and the shining light of Jesus' glory. And, and the Father speaks about the beloved Son. He said, we ourselves heard the very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. And what is this word? Knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. You don't have to just trust in someone's experience of God's revelation being heard. We heard. We heard the voice from the mountain. Simeon, I heard God's promise and I've trusted it. But we don't, we don't have to just trust in the eyewitness accounts of somebody having heard the revelation. We now have the revelation in our hands. We have the prophecy more fully confirmed that we are able to pick up a prophecy that was produced not by the will of man, but by men who, as God spoke, and they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. We have that now in front of us. Just as Simeon trusted and obeys, obeys God's word to him, he remains in Jerusalem. And he goes to the temple each day with that expectation. And again, we don't know how long he waited. What we're told is he waited. He was waiting and waiting. And I, I've said this before, like Christianity seems to be this waiting religion, right? We're all constantly waiting. But then the fulfillment comes. Like Israel had been waiting for their Messiah, and the Messiah comes. And what encouragement is that to us? That these very same promises that Jesus will return in glory and bring about this glorious new kingdom with no more sin and no more sorrow and no more pain and we who have trusted in Him will reign and rule with Him forever. Right now we're in that same place, waiting. Waiting for the consolation of the church to return and make all things right. We're waiting. And just as Simeon trusted and obeyed God's word to him and was willing to wait, we are to trust and obey the more fully confirmed word of God given to us. And God's word reveals to us the means by which we can depart this life in peace. We're meant to trust in God. Trust in His promises given to us. Trust in all that He has revealed to us, willing, willing to live our lives based upon it. And we know very little of Simeon, but we know he was living his life based upon the promise given to him. And we are meant to do so as well. So this is the second answer to the question. Why can we depart in peace? Not just because God has given us His Word, but because God has given us His Savior. Verse 34, My eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. Simeon's eyes, seeing the baby Jesus, 
was his eyes seeing the Christ, verse 26, and was his eyes seeing God's salvation, verse 30. This is referring specifically to Jesus. Jesus is God's salvation. That's what he is. We see this Acts 4. This Jesus is the cornerstone, or is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus is God's salvation given to all mankind. John 20, 31, but these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. What is He saying? He's your salvation. He is the means by which you can receive life. Humanity under a sentence of death because of our sins. We deserve to die. And not just physically. We deserve what the Scriptures describe as the second death. Eternal death. Eternal punishment. That beyond this life, we will be separated from God, the source of joy and happiness and peace. And we will face eternal suffering because of our sin, because of breaking God's law. And yet, we see here in Jesus, who is the Christ. And that's what Simeon affirms here. That he would not see death until he's seen the Lord's Christ. And now Simeon prophesies, Lord, I can depart in peace. Because I have seen your salvation. Behold, baby Jesus. Jesus is life. And that's why John can write, by believing in Him, you may have life. The theme with John, I have two more quotes from John. First John 5, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and that this life is in His Son. So whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. This is where our salvation is. It's in Jesus Christ. Or John 3, 16 through 19. Everybody knows John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. But then Jesus goes on to say, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Jesus is God's salvation. But then he goes on to say, whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment that light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. See, the issue with God's salvation, the fact that people are not saved by God's salvation, is not an issue of the light. It's an issue of people's darkness. Because our sins, because our deeds are evil, we reject the salvation of God. 
we turn away from God's salvation. And it's only by His grace that we are brought back. If left to ourselves, we would not want the light because we are people of darkness. So God gloriously gives His Son, gloriously gives us His salvation. And yet, what do we know about people? What are we, what are we described as? We are people who love darkness. We are people who would naturally reject that light. Jesus is the one who's been prepared to be presented in the, in the presence of all people, Simeon says. He is the Savior for all mankind. We read through the Gospels, what do we see? He's rejected. People do not embrace him as Savior. They turn away from him, reject him. And Jesus said, Those who come are only those who are drawn by the Father. And as we're drawn in, what are we drawn in to do? We're drawn in to believe in the Son and not perish, but have eternal life. And this is grace upon grace. Grace beyond grace. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, Jesus gives the you know, we, we gifts at Christmas, right? We all know about it. We all experience that probably this Last week, all the gifts we were able to open at Christmas. I mean, here's, here's God. Here's my gift, my son. I don't know if you've ever been this way or ever experienced this. Maybe, maybe you have a really good you know, poker face or whatever. You open the gift, and it's really not something you like at all, and you're just like, oh, thank you. You know, I mean, that's kind of what's being described here. Like, here's my gift. Here's your salvation. But people so love darkness, they're like, eh, I'll return it. Get something I really like. <laughs> and yet God, in turn, in grace, comes in and reveals to them the glory of this gift. He changes, He transforms their heart so that they might love you. I mean, He goes beyond just the giving of the gift. transforming our stone-hard hearts to hearts of flesh. At first glance, we're just like, eh, that's not the gift I was hoping for. And as God comes in, transforms our heart, we go, but, wow. That gift really is amazing. That gift really is glorious. And if, and if He would not withhold His own Son... Will he not give me all things that I need for life and godliness? I mean, his son? He's willing to give his son to die? And all of a sudden our eyes are open to the reality and the glory of Jesus being our salvation. God sacrificing his son so that we might have life. In turn, as we truly begin to see the gift for what it really is, we no longer need to fear death. 
because our Savior has conquered death and promises us eternal life to all who believe in Him. He's destroyed the debt of sin we owed and the punishment that comes with it. And now we can have life in Him. Now we can depart in peace whenever God determines it is our time to go home. So let's just see the third answer, because God has given us His light. Here in the text, in verse 32, we see a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And that light is meant to go with each of those phrases. It's a light for the purpose of revealing to the Gentiles and also for the purpose of glory to your people Israel. So the, the light is Jesus here. The light is God's salvation. The light is this baby that has been born and now brought to the temple to be dedicated to God and redeemed through the law. This light functions in two ways. It's revelation to the Gentiles. This, this making public the good news. Why is that significant? Well, because those promises were originally given to Israel. And now as we've been reading through this, and and not just in Simeon's prophecy, but in the other songs that we looked at as well, the song, Song of the Angels, to all men on whom His pleasure rests. So we see again this idea of this expansion beyond Israel. And really, as we look in the Old Testament, we find that this was the plan all along. It's been testified throughout the Old Testament. I mean, even within you know, the, the covenant promises made to Abraham, through his family, all the nations would be blessed. And again, we see this fulfillment here as Jesus comes as the light of the world. He's not just the light of Israel. Not just the light of the Jews, but of the non-Jews as well. It's this making public of the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We see that throughout Jesus' ministry as He ministers, not just to Jews, but to non-Jews as well. And to those kind of in between, like the Samaritans, who are like half-Jew and looked down and despised by the Jews. And yet, Jesus, what does He do? He ministers to them. He is the light that's come to reveal God's glorious good news to all people. He's also the glory of God's people Israel. He's glory, this praise, praise because the promises to Israel have been fulfilled. Like there's a there's an aspect in which if 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 all the nations were to look into Israel and say, Well, who is your God? Tell us about him. Well, here here he is. And what has he promised you? Well, here it is. And they're like, But you're subjects to Rome now. I mean, you kind of think maybe he's failed you a little bit. Like there begins to be this like, well, this is what we believe. This is who our God is, and yet we're still waiting, right? Jesus means that Israel is no longer waiting. Jesus means that 
all the promises to Israel have been fulfilled in him. That he is the light of glory to them. And the response should be one of praise. And what we see in, in these first two chapters in Luke is that there were people who were very, very much waiting and anticipating the coming of the Messiah. Not for their own political gains, not for their own political reasons, which we do see occur greatly throughout Jesus' ministry, but who are truly waiting for the promises to be fulfilled in a Messiah who would save them from sin and death. And Simeon is definitely one of them. So this this Jew who's been going to the temple waiting for the consolation of Israel explodes in glory because God has kept His promises. It's good for understand that the purpose of the light, there are many reasons, many purposes for light, but here it is to, to give life because it's revelation and it's glory. And in John 1 we read, in Him was life and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Yeah, men love darkness. Men, men reject the light that has been given to them. But what do we read in chapter 1 of John is that while that darkness exists, it does not overcome the light. But rather, light overcomes the darkness, and we are testimonies of that. All of us here who believe in Christ, who trust in Jesus Christ, are testimonies of the fact that the light has overcome the darkness that is in us. Our natural bent in sin is to love darkness, reject Jesus, and yet He has overwhelmed us with His glorious light. It's just grace upon grace. And it's only Jesus that can shine the light of life upon His people and in doing so, give meaning to them both in life and death. And we see that in, in our New City Catechism in question one. What is our only hope in life and death? That we are not our own, but belong body and soul, both in life and death, to God and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's our hope. Both in life and death. So, what do we see? It gives, Jesus gives us meaning, both in this life right now that we're living. He gave, he gave Simeon meaning, even though he hadn't even come yet. This righteous, devout man coming to the temple, uh, uh, anticipating Consolation of Israel. He gave his life meaning. And now in turn he gives his death meaning as well. I can depart in peace. Because now I know. I have hope. In death. Because God keeps his promises. What shall we say about death then? I like what Pierre Marcel said. He said it well when he wrote, As for our death, speaking to the Christian, as for our death, those who trust in Jesus Christ, it is no longer a payment for our sins. Indeed, Christ paid everything for each of us. From now on, our death appears as a true gift. You say, what? What do you mean, Pierre? Tell us what you mean. He gives us two reasons. First, it is the definitive destruction of our sin. When we die, our bodies laid in the ground, and our spirit goes to be with Christ. No more sin. No more sin. 
Then second, a passage which brings us into the heavenly life of God's kingdom. Death is a means by which we go into the kingdom of God to live with Him forever. As John 5 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my words and believes Him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. Death is just the passage into life. We now are given through Jesus Christ. So why can we depart in peace? Because God has given us His Word. And we can trust in His Word. Because God has given us His Savior, and we can trust in His Savior. This, this being His Son, not withholding His Son from us. And what do we read? What does Jesus say to us? Jesus says, if you believe in Me, you have eternal life. Because God has given us His light. The good news of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. This light reveals to us that our life is hid in Him. And we, though we depart through death, we depart in peace because our peace with God has come through Jesus Christ. So how can we connect this to everyday life? Well, first of all, what are you trusting to bring peace in death? What are you trusting to bring peace in your death? Now, it's not popular for us to think about our death. We like to put it off as long as possible, one. And then in turn, we like to think about it as little as possible. But we all know death is a part of this existence that we have. It's appointed unto man wants to die, and that has occurred 100% of the time. And we know this. But we don't want to live within that reality. We don't enjoy that reality. We're not encouraged much by that reality. In fact, so much so that many of you probably thought when we started this whole conversation about departing in peace, why is he preaching this now, right after Christmas? I mean, Christmas was so joyous and celebratory. Why would he start preaching about death? Well, Because our view of death should be joyous and celebratory. Because... We have been saved from its sting. But that's only if you're trusting in Jesus Christ. If you're trusting in something else, you don't have those promises. And the question is, will that something else, will that something else be able to fulfill its promises to you? And why would I be so confident? That my Jesus could fulfill his promises to me, and whatever you believe in may not feel, fulfill its promises to you, because my Jesus died and rose again. But Jesus demonstrated he conquered death by coming back to life of his own power, of his own volition, coming back to life and demonstrating his power over death. That's why I have confidence. That's why when my time comes, I can depart in peace because I'm trusting in the one who has faith, faced death and defeated death. In turn, how do you fix your eyes then on your Savior? Second question, how do you fix your eyes on your Savior? Just as Simeon fixed his eyes on Jesus as his salvation, my eyes have looked into the very face of of God's salvation. So we too must fix our eyes on our Savior. 
We must look into his face. How do we do that? We take up his word. We know Jesus is revealed in his word. And Jesus isn't just revealed in the gospels. He's revealed throughout because this is his words. The Bible is God's word to us. And Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. These are his words. All of them. And we are meant to know who our Savior is. We are meant to let our eyes be fixed upon him. And so when troubles come, when difficulties arise, when death seems imminent, with illness, whatever, we're meant to fix our eyes on Jesus. We're meant to be reminded of who he is, what he's done, all the promises he's given to us. We have this glorious opportunity as we wait, to wait with this revelation, this clear and glorious revelation of who God is to us through Jesus Christ. I mean, Simeon did this. He waited, fixing his eyes on the promised Messiah. And, and we're told that, that, that the truth that he had was veiled. He had truth. He had the promises of the Messiah of the Old Testament, but they were veiled. And yet, what does he do? He still fixes his eyes upon it, waiting for the time. And then Jesus comes and he sees him. Now we live in a world where our eyes are not veiled. Because Jesus has come. We know the Messiah's name. We know what his life was like. We have his very words with us. You should know him intimately, closely, because you have spent time with him in his word. You are hearing his voice through the scriptures. I'm, 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 I'm not. I'm, I'm saying that, trying to say that very emphatically because I'm not, I'm not talking about some mystic feeling that you get. Well, I got this love for Jesus, you know, and I'm sitting here in my room and I get a love for Jesus. No, some like mystic, like kind of idea. No, the reality of who He is revealed to us in these very words that we can actually spend time with Him and hear Him speak through the very words that are written in this text. need to mysticize it we can take up the word and know him and fix our eyes on him and thirdly will you overflow with praise to god for his salvation back in verse verse 33 joseph's father and mother having known all the realities about jesus They knew he was the promised one. They knew he was the Messiah, the Christ. They'd been told by angels. They had trusted in it. I mean, Elizabeth, like, clearly affirms Mary's faith. Like, they know all these things. And yet, in verse 33, what do we read? His his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. Wonder. Praise. 
Simeon praises, so then Mary and Joseph join in in praising, so then as we hear Simeon's word, we too are meant to join in in praise. Because we probably know a whole lot about Jesus too. That's not meant to stifle our praise. Well, I already know that. No, that's meant to heighten it. The more we know about Jesus, the more we know how worthy He is of our praise. How worthy He is of us overflowing in joy, in demonstrating glory to Him for His salvation that is granted to us. As Simeon goes on to bless his Mary, he says, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. I mean, here's Jesus is coming. And what is He saying? The falling and rising of many. That there's going to be this opposition that occurs so much so that it's going to be pierced the very heart of Mary as she stands at the foot of the cross and watches her son die. Because that's why Jesus has come. Jesus has come as the Savior, the Lamb of God, who is slaughtered to take away the sins of His people. And we should overflow in praise for a God who would die for us. Let's pray. Father, You are gracious and good. And giving to us your Son, Jesus Christ. And now we ask that as we close in song, that our hearts would truly overflow in praise. Would they not be words, simply words that are sung? But that our heart and minds would engage. And as our mouths speak, that we would join with all creation worshiping the one who is worthy of our praise as his creation, but then as his redeemed people saved by his blood. May you exalt Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.